Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hey team, well today I have a very exciting episode for you with Dr. Suzanne Turner. Uh, She is the founder of Vine Medical Associates um, in the USA, in Georgia, Atlanta actually, uh, double board certified. Um, She treats a lot of executives and athletes and people with um, some major illnesses, uh, practicing cellular longevity and performance medicine. She's very, very experienced in bioidentical hormone therapy and metabolic medicine and neurodegenerative diseases and human performance optimization. And she also has advanced certification in endocrinology and peptide therapy. Um, She is an award-winning teacher of medical students and residents and physicians and and on the faculty of Emory uh, University, as well as SSRP and ACAM, um, A4M, IPS, and Biotech. She is featured on several, several podcasts, and I came across her on uh, one of my favorite podcasts with Natalie Nidham, um, and she's just an absolute m- minefield of information. So we do wander all over the place in cellular medicine today. We go from peptides to hormone therapy to athletic training uh, to, yeah, all over the show, and I really think you're going to get a hell of a lot of benefit out of this interview with Dr. Suzanne Turner um, and really find out some things that are on the cutting edge. So before we head over to the show, if you'd like the show, please share it with your friends and family. If you don't mind doing a rating and review for the show, that would be super, super appreciative. Help us keep on air. Um, takes a lot of time and research to do all of this, as you can possibly imagine. Um, and you can head over to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com. And um, support us with a cup of coffee or two a month for me and my team. That would be so appreciated. Um, also check out on my website, we now have a page dedicated to our hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic. We haven't done a separate website for obvious reasons. I've got too many websites and too many things going on. Um, but if you go to lisatamity.com forward slash hyperbaric, you'll see some information about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And if you're in Taranaki or New Plymouth or you're coming this way, um, please reach out to us and we can get you sorted for hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, also head over to the shop uh, on lisatarmody.com. You'll see the curated anti-aging and longevity range of supplements. Um, one of the fantastic ones that I'm really excited to just getting in shortly is Stem Regen by Dr. Christian Japro, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've um, been working with him and his team to get that down to us, and that is in the post as we speak. So make sure that you check out that if you are interested Stem Regen is all about uh, helping your body mobilize more stem cells out of the bone marrow so that it can become and repair the the stem cells are the repair mechanism of the body. It's what we use to repair all the different tissues. Your stem cells can become different cells, heart cell, lung cell, brain cell, whatever your body needs. And by keeping uh, our circulating stem cells up and helping them get into the tissues, which is what this supplement is all about, and it's backed by clinical research and over 25 years of research with uh, Dr. Christian's uh, um, research that he's done, um, this helps get a heck of a lot more stem cells into circulation and that can then help you repair with whatever your problem is. So very excited to get this into the range. 
um, and check it all out on lisatarmody.com and look for STEM Regen, S-T-E-M-R-E-G-E-N. Right, over to the show now with Dr. Suzanne Turner. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits today. I'm super, super excited. I have Dr. Suzanne Turner with me. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic Hi, to have Lisa, you. Thanks. You Thank are you in, so much. You're in Atlanta, and uh, we've just been having a big conversation before we started, and I thought, hang on a minute. We're, we're sharing all the gold here. We actually have to get recordings. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Suzanne is an absolutely fabulous doctor. I'm going to read out on the intro your your full bio, but um, can you give us a little bit of a, a background? Tell us who you are and where you come from and how did you get here? <laughs> sure. So I started out as a regular family doctor seeing 30 or 40 patients a day, working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and uh, prescribing medication for every single person, whatever the drug rep told me was the thing that needed to be prescribed. That's what I did. And I was really blessed because I had a couple of patients who came to me and said things like, hey, my prostate's bothering me. What do you think about me taking saw palmetto? And because I have just an innate curiosity, I said, that sounds great. Let me do some research. I don't know what that is. So I started doing some research. Uh, then a patient came to me and asked me if um, I would write for her bioidentical hormone pack or hormone cream. And I said, I don't know what that is. Let me do some research. So I did. And the compounding pharmacy said, hey, it looks like you don't know what you're doing. Can I send you to a conference? And so I went to a conference and it was like the scales fell from my eyes. And all of a sudden I could never go back to what I was doing before. Uh, so I started getting hungry and le- learning as much as I could. And uh, much like you told me in your story with your mom, I just do- dove right into whatever I could find that would get my patients better because there was always a percentage of patients that just didn't get better. Their labs were completely normal. Their, their, um, you know, all the signs were there that they were sick, but they didn't, they, they felt fine. I mean, they didn't feel well. Yep. So I kept diving into why would, why are they not? I guess I just believed them. And I was curious enough that I said, there's got to be something wrong if you feel this badly. So uh, I started doing um, as much research as I could. I went back to school and did another fellowship in functional medicine. And then I went on to do advanced training and peptides and endocrinology and, and tried to, as much as I could, find as many things. Well, at every stage, there was another level of patients who got better. So I added bioidentical hormones. Wow, all these patients got better that I thought had a Prozac deficiency or I thought they had a, you know, they had something else. And it turned out, wow, they just were estrogen deficient. If I fix their hormones, they feel so much better. Um, and so then I added, then I was a runner, not like you, but I was a the 10K runner and uh, I injured my hip and just could not run anymore. So I started, I said, I've got to continue to, first of all, I'm fairly competitive. And um, second, I just was, I need the activity. So I went, started doing a Tabata class. And loved that Tabata. It was great. Lots of um, weights and running. So you're doing a little bit of both. Not too long. So it wasn't putting too much injury on my hip. But again, I started injuring myself. There were some, the, maybe the training wasn't 100% or maybe I was not listening or it, whatever the things were that were going on. And so I went, uh, then COVID happened. Mm. Didn't uh, you didn't ask me about my about my uh, exercise, but this is the story. No, no, this is uh, great. 
Then COVID happened. I had before that I'd gone and learned about peptides to try to treat my uh, hip. I used PEG MGF and IGF one to treat my hip injury, but really the answer was a mechanical change. Mm-hmm. So I went to a gym close by that was, um, you know, all the gyms were closed, of course, but this gym would let you in the back door with the lights out one person at a time. Wow! <laughs> I love and it. it just, yeah, it just happened to be a powerlifting gym. And uh, I had some good acquaintances who were power lifters that I admired. So I started training for power. My intention was just to be active. But as I progressed and continued, competitive. Uh, <laughs> I started to get competitive. Yeah. Yeah. And you you're, you are a competitive uh, power lifter to this day. And I, I yes. heard you on another podcast talking about powerlifting and what it's taught you um, from a, um, a, you know, even as a physician, you know, like muscles equals longevity, you know, did that light bulb go off in your brain when you started doing powerlifting? You know, I mean, you would have known that to a degree, but it's really, really a big thing, isn't it? Myokines and things like that. Yes, I think it really hit home when I started learning about peptides. You know, when you begin to delve into what the cell needs and how the cell functions and how the mitochondria work, as I am trying to optimize my ability to be the best power lifter that I can, of course, all this longevity stuff comes comes out. So like you're talking about myokines and trying to um, optimize the way that your body functions. What I tell patients is, These are chemical messengers that your muscles produce when they're exercising that tell your body to be more youthful. So your DNA will begin to produce more youthful proteins than it would if you were not, did not have an exercising muscle. So your doctor, I probably back in the day was telling patients, oh, you need to exercise. But now I can actually tell you why you need to exercise. It's not just that you need to exercise, although that is true. I can now say, I, can tell you that your body will be younger if you are exercising regularly. Look at your mom, for example. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and the more we do, the better she is. And um, with her, it's the weight training that actually brings the most benefit because when you're older, you start to lose muscle mass. And when you lose muscle mass, you lose, this is an endocrine functioning organ that you're losing mass of. And then that. Your, your your metabolism goes down. That's when you, you start to get the insulin resistance happening, maybe the middle age spread. All of those things are related or in part due to the muscle decline. So if we can keep our muscles active and strong and the myokines, the messengers. And, you know, I really want to d- dive deep into peptides a little bit with you today as well um, and right. sort of understand that. I heard you say on one of the podcasts that, when you're powerlifting, you know you have to be on your best recovery. Like you need to recover massively. And as a you know ultra endurance athlete in the past, I know that I had to really recover hard, and I often didn't recover enough. And that's when the damage would happen, right? Um, yes. And you said uh, that your grip strength was one of the things that you noticed. If your grip strength was down that day at the gym, that you weren't a hundred percent recovered. And if you weren't yeah. able to lift just that tiny bit more, 1% a week, I think you said, um, then you weren't really getting the recovery in between. And I was just like, oh, wow. Because grip streak is one of those very simple ways of, of measuring our, our aging, isn't it? Um, yes. If we've got a strong grip, 
then we it is I mean there's lots more sophisticated Horvath clocks, clocks and DNA methylation and things like that now. But just for the lay person on the street who doesn't know, if you you measure your grip strength, <clears throat> you can buy a grip strength measurer. <laughs> um, that's a real indication. And you as an athlete, of course you're in tune with your body, you'd know that, huh, my grip's not too good today. I can't lift that huge, great weight off the ground. Um, and your form would be off and things like that. Tell us a little bit. How did you? How do you measure when it's time to go hard and when it's not time to go hard? So I use an aura ring. I think that's just the simplest way. You know, hate to advertise for people, but I can I can definitely recommend the aura ring. I use that a lot, and I use the heart rate variability that's on there to guide me. Um, I I know that when my heart rate variability is down, and and I have a fairly low heart rate variability to begin with. I think because I train so hard. Yeah, me too. Um, I can't get mine up. (laughs) And and so I think uh, you know, in running a business and all the things. Yeah. but I, but I know that when my heart rate variability has gone down, that's a day when I need to rest. Yeah. So for example, I just came back from a conference. I traveled across the United States. So several time zones and came back. So today was a rest day. I did not go in this morning, which is unusual for me to not train uh, on Mondays. That's usually my, let's go back to the gym. Uh, but I'm getting ready to go into training mode for competition in August. Mm-hmm. So I know I need to, um, and this was my last travel before I start really h- focusing hard on that training. So I uh, took a rest day today and then I'll hit it hard tomorrow. And that is the wisdom that you've built, like, you know, because like with me, I used to be like, if I feel shit, go harder because you must be being a being a wuss, you know. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, hang on. You know, like I had to travel last week for work too. I had two days in a row with only four hours sleep and immediately I got a cold, you know, like I, I was just like, okay, back off, back off for three or four days of the training, even though my brain's going, but you didn't train for two days. You've got to go harder. Yeah. You know, and you've got to really sort of talk that voice down sometimes, that athlete voice, which can be sometimes too, you know, too too hard and too strict. And it's actually now you need to actually follow that HRV. I follow mine. And and uh, I remember talking to our mutual friend, Dr. Dr. Betsy Yerth, um, and she was like, yeah, my, my, my HIV shit too. I don't know why. You know, I'm doing all the things. <laughs> and I'm like, so we're in good company, you and I. Um, and and it is it's a battle because you know you're running multiple businesses you you go 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 you're training your backside off and trying to get that HRV up. I'm still in the the lower part of the population for that. It's quite it's quite disappointing. <laughs> but um, so there was an interesting study that might be interesting to you um, that came out. Um, I think it's 2018. That's with the Polish rowing team, mm-hmm. where the, it's the they. Um, they gave them 160 milligrams of the amino acid L-theanine. Oh, yeah. During their training coming up to competition, and it prevented them from getting sick. It oh. raised their gamma delta T cells mm-hmm. so that they were able to prevent illness. So this was one of the oh. things in my uh, armamentarium against uh, the virus that just was out. Yep. So, so oh, it's helpful for you. I mean, I've of of um had L-theanine on occasion for um you know for adrenal um HPA axis dysfunction and problems like that. I hadn't realised that that could help with that. That's 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 a good tip, right? Off to get off yeah. to get some theanine. <laughs> yeah, just Google L-theanine. Polish rowing team uh, L-theanine. I bet it'll come. Okay, up. 
<laughs> now, I want to get dive into a little bit into peptides and things because you are a peptide specialist. You um, you you teach on this stuff, uh, and I'm very very fascinated with peptides. And I've done a couple of interviews um, in the last couple of weeks with you know Betsy's one of them, and uh, Ryan Smith I had on the show as well, um, and Natalie Nidham. Um and I'm. You know, these, these are hard to get in New Zealand. Uh, the reason I'm doing these recordings is not to make everyone jealous that Americans can get all these stuff and we're struggling. It's because I believe and I'm working on um, trying to get them down to New Zealand. And I think with the more awareness that I make out there in the in the space, um, and then I have quite a few doctors listening to the show, you know, maybe I can pique their interest and they can go and get trained. Um Tell us, yeah, you, where, where did you do your training, um, Dr. Seeds or the A4M or the which which um, institute did you do peptide training? Yes, back when I trained, it was Dr. Seeds and the um, A4M. They were together. Oh, yep. And uh, so I trained with them, and then uh, Betsy and I started teaching with uh, with Bill, mm-hmm. and then uh, SSRP. Sp- split off but they both have great training programs for uh peptide care mm-hmm. great great so any doctors listening one of those programs might be good i want to i want to do the peptide training as well but oh man it's pretty intense <laughs> isn't it from even just understanding the sort of basic pathways and stuff um so um i'll have to take a deep breath and take a bit of time out to to get my head around that one um but tell us a little bit how you use it in your practice and what you've seen. You know, if, mm-hmm. if we, you know, I can list off, you know, a hundred different peptides, but maybe if we, what, what do you see coming into your clinic? Because you're, you know, practicing with this for years now. Um, what would be the most common thing that you use peptides for? We'll start there. Probably a good place. Probably number one is athletic injury, athletic recovery. That's probably what I see the most. Uh, things like, uh, I have a patient, a lot of patients who have, um, osteoarthritis, Mm -hmm. those sort of people, um, who are still active, still playing tennis. Uh, they're, they're out there, you know, building muscle, trying to be, uh, athletic and they are having injuries occur either to tendons and, and ligaments or to the joint itself and watching the joints deteriorate. One of the things that's most frustrating, I'm sure, um, Betsy said the same thing was that um, it's frustrating because by the time I see them, it's often too late. People don't come to you when the injury originally occurs. You know, I just saw a patient earlier today who uh, she had the injury two weeks ago. And I said, why didn't you come to me right away? Because let's get on this as quick as we can to prevent a lot of the inflammatory, uh, the, the immune recruitment that can occur and then the macrophage activation and then all the um, production of the inflammatory cytokines that can occur, these messengers, chemical messengers that will create an ongoing problem. Um, if we can start that from the very beginning and nip it in the bud, it's a way better uh, process. Yeah. Uh, and then for our uh, younger athletes who are currently or continuously competitive, uh, they want to continue to be competitive. And so we want to help them to be able to get back to sport as fast as possible. And there are lots of things we do for them, both actual uh, in the tendon or, or ligament and systemically that can be helpful in, in either treating or preventing uh, injury or illness. Yeah, brilliant. So things like BPC-157 and ipamorelin, tesmorelin, so the, 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 the growth hormone secretagogues, 
um, I, I suppose, would be in your first, sort of first line defense for for these guys. And thymus and beta. Yeah. And then I'm a big. Yeah. I love that um, the um, the modifications of uh, of IGF one mm-hmm. that we can get that the body naturally makes in response to injury. So the first in response to the injury, the body will begin to make peg M- or to make um, MGF mechanical growth factor, uh-huh. not peg MGF that's synthetic, but the MGF. And so we want to, as quick as we can to put some MGF where the injury occurred. And then the body naturally will begin to switch over from making MGF to making a, a different form, a more healing form of the, um, uh, IGF one. And mm-hmm. so then we want to put IGF one on board. So you want to do uh-huh. the MGF first and then IGF one, um, after that for an acute injury. Both of these are going to help with more rapid repair. And we know that your body depletes its ability to make any form of growth hormone or IGF one as we age. So I see patients, uh, who are in their sixties who have, uh, their IGF one is 75. And, uh, we know that a low growth hormone is going to, uh, affect the ability of the body to do many things. It's going to increase mortality uh, in yep. general from all causes. So we want to address that low IGF-1. Of course, my goal is always, why do you have a low IGF-1? Let's yeah. not just give you growth hormone, which is an option, but or growth hormone secretagogues. Let's figure out why do you personally have a low IGF one? Are you overtraining? Are you is your sleep poor? Do you not have enough resistance? Is is all of your training ultra marathon? So you yeah. are sarcopenic because of what you're doing, your training method, and do you need to cross train a little bit more? Um, I'd love to hear you talk about why about your experience with flipping from ultra marathon to CrossFit and what the what the differences are that you see. Oh, huge, huge, huge. Um, so um, from a genetic predisposition, you know, I um, am not suited to the super long stuff anyway. I ha- um, I create a lot of oxidative stress. I need a lot of antioxidants. Um, one of the, the programs I'm trained in is PH360, which is looking at your genetics, but also how you're expressing. Um, and this sort of gives me information about, you know, going shorter, sharper, high intensity workouts. I have a lot of adrenaline, a lot of cortisol, a lot of stress hormones naturally. Um, and of course that breaks down tissue a lot when you, especially when you're older and you're under a lot of pressure. I'm under a lot of pressure with my businesses and mum and so on. Um, and, and doing the ultra marathons was just another massive stress on the body. So when I was a, a competitive athlete doing this for years, I was always holding fluid. My hormones were mucked up. Um, and not just the, the hormones was a combination of things, genetics and things and being on the pill for too long, terrible mm-hmm. things. Um, it, but it really, you know, the infla- inflammation was constant. I was exposing my body to way too much oxidative stress and too much inflammation for too too long a period. When I switched, when I did genetics and understood that I'd been doing the wrong thing for 25 years, basically. <laughs> and luckily, I was at a time in my life when it was, you know, cool to change something. I'd done, I'd done the athletic challenges that I wanted to do. That's when I really saw massive changes in my body shape. I lost a lot of extra weight. I wasn't overweight. I was like four or five kilos just heavier than I should have been. And I was running like no tomorrow. Like, you know, at one point I was running 500K a week 
Like when I was doing running through New Zealand, I was just getting fatter. And so that calories in, calories out, and my audience has heard me blur on about that before, but it's not just about that. When I started doing weight training, it was when I shifted that little bit of extra weight. I got really lean, really ripped, and felt a whole lot better and got some Mm -hmm. hormones. And even though like now I'm, you know, menopausal and that's another bloody, you know, and I'm on (laughs) hormone replacement therapy, um, we've just upped the doses because even that wasn't quite enough. So you need to tweak if you're on hormone replacement therapy. You need to monitor and tweak it. Um, but that's been game changer, you know. Um, so I'm I'm a lot happier not doing the ultra marathons. Um, that's not to say that everybody is like me. It's just my genetic makeup as well. But being aware of that is is really really important. I think that um, anyone who's over forty should be doing a hell of a lot of weight training. Amen, sister. Yeah. Resistance training, muscle building, body weight, whatever you can manage, but you should be doing that. <laughs> May I point out how um, amazing your body is that even though your genetics were designed otherwise, and even though you had the emotional stressor of your relationship, I, I listened to a podcast book earlier <laughs> about that, all that in place and all the oxidative stress that you put your body through it still was able to do the ultra marathon. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Wow. Like what a big hug to yourself. This is amazing. (laughs) Thank you. That's awesome. No, thank you. Yeah. And and that's a, that's, but what I did learn out of that, you know, the negative side on the body and that, but the mental strength that comes from that, the resilience, the relentlessness, the the ability to push through, which can have downsides as well, but that's what you learn from ultramarathoning, and that's what I'm a big fan of people doing, doing it for. If they're doing it for short periods and they're recovering properly and they're taking into account their genetics and women, their hormones and things like that, then having that challenge and that ability to push the body to that nth degree when you're young, you know, I mean, go for it. You know, that there's there's reasons to be doing things that aren't always healthy, you know, and I'm sure powerlifting at the top end of the scale like you're doing, it isn't always healthy. It is maybe pushing the boundaries, you know, it is, uh, and you're prone it is. to injury, but you're doing it for an athletic goal, you know. It's so. it's interesting, the, uh, you know, it's a completely different way to think about, you know, there's long rest periods in between sets. You, um, we, we train like bodybuilders, heart of the workout is, is training like bodybuilders. And the other part of the workout is training, um, specifically sport related. And it's interesting because, um, I am always fearful when I'm under the bar. It's this huge adrenaline, like this exciting adrenaline rush. There's this fear, like, oh my gosh, if I drop this, I'm going to break my leg. I'm going to break my back. My knees could, I mean, so many things could go wrong. So you just practice and 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 practice the same thing. It's much, I think it's much like training for a marathon or whatever. You do the same motion over and over. So your body knows exactly what's supposed to happen. Yep. Even with all of that training three years before I did my first competition, um, I still, uh, the second lift, you know, you get three chances to do each of the three lifts and the second lift, I did it completely wrong. Yeah. It was amazing. I could even pull it up. It was amazing. I didn't get injured. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's training that subconscious level, isn't it? And really getting that in. And then when you've got the competition and the nerves and the anxiety and all that, the brain goes offline a little bit. And um, that's when things can happen. And no, you know, kudos to you for, for taking on such a difficult sport and a dangerous sport at that, really. Um, but how, from a training perspective, how that's going to benefit you as you move forward and get older is going to be huge like you know I bet your growth you know growth factors are doing pretty well <laughs> better yes, than mine probably exactly. are <laughs> just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits we've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. And, and and these are the things that you learn for, as being an athlete. So there's, you know, being an athlete isn't always healthy. I mean, I, I love watching the rugby players and things, you know, but I am like got one hand over my eyes when they hit each other <laughs> in the head and I'm like, oh, God, another head injury, you know, and head injuries are, are something that I'm quite passionate about. You need to be fixing it immediately. You need not to be waiting, um, working on uh, with a with a doctor Elizabeth Harris down here, and she wants to get a post concussion um, system going, so we can get in early, not just sit and wait and rest, but actually get in with the right supplements, the right imaging, so that we know what's going on, and not just seeing if you turn out okay, you know, because this is what's leading then. And I'm da- off down a rabbit hole, but you know, in ten, twenty years time, a lot of those rugby players and stuff, or boxers and things are going to be having major issues dementia alzheimer's and we can see that coming 20 years ahead and we can do things about it you know but it's especially trying to we're talking about i don't know what you would recommend but the things that i think have been um researched and the most beneficial for things like that ideally i think most of the research is having them on board before the patient gets yeah. uh, if possible so things like uh ketone ester Yes. Um, yes. Things <laughs> like, yes. Things like TB4, thymus and beta 4 and BPC, wow. you know, uh, most of the research with BPC is in rats. Um, but the research shows if you can get that on board before the patient goes, before the rat gets the injury, then we know that the recovery is much better than it would have otherwise been. Yep. And, uh, Things like even mortality is significantly improved, wow. um, but in in the rat study, so they just drop a weight on the rat's head and they watch. They had two groups, and one got BPC and one didn't, and the ones with the BPC had a way better outcome. Yep. Uh, there are more human studies with the thymusins because they are um, uh, they've just been around or recognized for a little bit longer. And so there is some human data with the thymusins, but most of the research with them is in animals. Um, and so, uh, I can tell you from my own patient experience that that's where we see the most benefit is if I can get people on, um, uh, either human or uh, KE4, whichever people prefer. And then, um, which is the ketone ester supplement, 
and then have them do a um, BPC and TB4 cocktail uh uh, around their training so that we're preventing them from having, so that their brains and their tissue is prepared for the possibility of trauma. Yeah. And, and, and even in the aftermath, I mean, I've got my mom ketone, um, ketone IQ, um, and I also have her on BPC and we cycle on and off thymosin alpha one, thymosin beta four, um, and epimorelin, um, and, and these, like, you, you know, when, when, when you've seen somebody's brain go from completely, you know, really badly, massively damaged to full health again, and then back after the brain tumors to being like a baby again, and then being, bringing her back to almost full, um, you know, like you, if you're sitting having a coffee with mum, you don't know there's anything wrong with her. You only when she's walking, there's a limp and there's, you know, she, she leans slightly to the side and we're, we're constantly working on those sorts of things. But from an intelligence point of view, there's nothing wrong with her, you know. Um, in fact, I, I've seen her memory start to improve. I've got her on high doses of um, glia and one of the plasmalogens by Dr. Dan Goodenow. Yes. Um, plus I've got her on um, stem regen, which is a stem cell, um, Dr. Christian Drapeau. Um, yep. And she's in hyperbaric every day. I mean, my, my mom is, 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 uh, is uh, <laughs> she, she gets the best of the best, right? And um, her, her, her brain has come back to, to the, to the level it is at. And she's, she's, she's independent to the degree. She's not fully independent. She's lost. She can't, hasn't got a driver's license now. Um, but she can go out for a little walk. She can get herself up. She can go and have a shower. She can, you know, go to the toilet on her own. She can go around the house, make herself a cup of tea. She can, you know, do all those little functional things, go out with the girlfriends for a few hours, you know, all of those things that she can do now. Uh, and Did they you make say she was she, we got a driver's license back after the aneurysm. Um, then they took it off her when she got the brain tumors and we haven't mm. managed to get it back yet. Um, it's one of her goals is to get back to, to driving. <laughs> and, um, but all of those things show a capacity, like, like the, to see the brain, the neuroplasticity. We used to think that the brain can't, doesn't develop new neurons. It doesn't change. It doesn't improve. If you've had an injury, if you've got Alzheimer's, you're buggered. It's not true. It's not true, and I've seen it. So a lot of the, the researchers, I've got like Dr. Bredesen coming on next week, um, the oh, nice. Alzheimer's um, specialist, and 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 he's you know written a book now about you know the the or the end of Alzheimer's and then the first survivors, um, the the first people to actually have had an Alzheimer's diagnosis, then to reverse it and to live full happy lives again. Uh, and this was the impossible. This is impossible. And I'm like, Dr. Bredesen, I've seen it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm in my end of one over here, I've seen that. And um, and I've seen it with other people that I've worked with that they've had massive slowing down of the decline. Now, the, the, the hard thing with Alzheimer's and things is that you have to change radically your lifestyle, you know. You've got to do the exercise. The stuff that we've been talking about, the exercise, the diet, the detoxing, the saunas, the, if you can, hyperbarics, the, all of those sorts of things that are going to create this baseline so that you can recover and then you can get some pretty amazing results. You're not going to get everybody because sometimes it's too far advanced and, and so on right. and so forth. But mums um, was pretty Mum was in a pretty bad shape. <laughs> she was said to be by the her specialist 
you're below the level of the worst dementia patient and there is nothing we can do. And this was after a year into her rehab. And this doctor, who shall remain nameless, um, said this in front of my mum in a panel where we were being interviewed whether we could stay in the physio program. And um, she had to eat her words because a few years later she saw mum walking down the walkway. I was having a coffee and I sent mum out for her training and she comes in. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. She's walking. She's like your mum. And I'm like, yeah, you want to know what happened, how I did it? And she was like, no, and walked out. And I was like, Oh God. You know, it's, I think that's a big shame. Um, it's, it, we, I think that, um, we're, I think I mentioned in the beginning, seeing 30 to 40 patients a day. Yeah, that's insane. The doctors just don't have the time to be naturally curious. I think medical school, uh, burns out of us a lot of curiosity because it is such a toxic environment. At least when I went through medical school, there's been some changes since I went through, but there, it was a very toxic environment when I went through and anyone who asked a question was deemed stupid. So, uh, so you sort of get the curiosity beat out of you. And I'm just grateful for, um, for people, uh, like Bill Seeds, like Betsy Earth, um, people who stirred up curiosity again for people like Eldred Taylor, who, I mean. who are, um, really terrific leaders who stirred up my curiosity again. And I'm grateful to have been in there around them um, and around um, other, other people I could list yeah. hundreds of them that have been so helpful and so encouraging for me to be. And so now there's almost not a new thing that comes my way that I don't say, let me go look it up. I don't know. Let's go study. I'm so excited. This is something new I can learn and maybe I can help 10 more patients by learning this new thing. So it's, it's been really fun. Yeah, it, but people are so lucky if they can get into you. And and uh, are you actually uh, doing telemedicine? So can people reach out to you, and um, or do they have to be living in your state to sort of you know come under your care? So I'm officially licensed in Florida, Georgia, North uh, Tennessee, and Alabama. Um, I can do telehealth in other places, and people can come see me, but have to physically see me once a year in order right. to do telehealth. So I have patients who live all over the country, but they come and see me for a one-time visit. And then they, we do all the rest of their visits telehealth. I even have people who live in Atlanta who don't want to drive through traffic who do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good point. And international as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like with, uh, yeah, because this is, this is one of the things, you know, my, my, my I want to develop a network of doctors that we can reach out to with certain different things. Cause you need doc, doctors who are specialized in different areas, right? I've got lots of right. doctors that I, um, um, try to get people access to, um, so that they can get these, these fantastic people that are doing this cutting edge stuff. And even if they, we, we run into the problem often with prescribing, but sometimes we can yeah. get around those problems or you know with getting things over here and stuff but there's often not where there's a will there's a way um often not always and sometimes you know legally yeah. i think that's right i think it ends up being it's it, the international patients um legally have to be uh i i can't prescribe yeah but i can it ends up being a consult where yeah, yeah. hey let's let me hear your story and let's talk about what I think is a great idea for you. Yeah. And then you can go and try and find a, a local GP who might agree with that and say, take that on board. And that's often how it works here. And that works quite well sometimes. 
um, and, and that gives us access to things that we probably wouldn't have otherwise got access to. Um, and, and you know, I think the message from 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 me for this is just you know keep digging and keep banging on the doors because every person that's doing this is also awakening the curiosity of their doctor to this stuff maybe. Yeah, making them think, oh, maybe I should have a look over here to the ones that have the capacity. And to your point, there's just, you know, having 30 or 40 clients a day or patients a day, that's just mind blowing to me. I don't know how the hell that you would even remember who walked in the door in the morning to who walked out at night, you know, let alone keep all their records straight and their whole, their history straight, you know, like they're just absolutely, we're asking too much. We're asking too much of, of, of people when we asked them to do that. Now, let's get and dive into a little bit of uh, uh, more into the peptides. And also I would like to cover off, um, you know, like blood tests, blood tests we can get, right? Basic blood tests. There is a wealth of information in in a basic blood test. Um, Can you give us a little bit of things that when, if you're looking at someone and all you've got is a blood test and you can't get the, the fancy peptides, what can you tell from a normal blood test? That isn't when you when you stand it go to your doctor you don't get this sort of information. So it's interesting because th- this information has always been available to me, but it's only in the last ten years since I started being more curious and saying, well, what does an alkaline phosphatase actually tell me? It's not just a test that's out there. It actually has a purpose in your body and it tells us a lot about what might be going on. So from the very simple complete blood count and um, complete metabolic panel, which almost every doctor orders on almost every patient, uh, at least in the U.S., then there's so much we can tell from that. There was a research study that came out a few years ago, I think it was 2014, that showed that for every point above, every six points above 87 that your fasting blood sugar goes, your chance of developing diabetes in the next 10 years goes up by 6%. Wow. Every point, wow! For every point above, above eighty-seven, your yeah, chance we of use a different measuring, but yeah, that would be so probably above five or something like that. Yes. five and a half, maybe. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I don't know the conversion. No, and so the uh, so all the labs measure that as as one hundred or less is normal. Well, yeah. if you're at a hundred, you're already at sixty percent increase of diabetes in the next ten years. Why would I wait until you develop diabetes to begin doing something to help you? That doesn't make sense. No. So I am talking to patients from the very first, when I first see them about their blood sugar being high. And this is already telling me that your body is oxidative stress. Your cells are under stress, that they are, the mitochondria aren't functioning optimally and they're not getting the nutrients. The cells aren't getting the nutrients they need to make everything function well. So that's no matter what your age, no matter what the circumstances are, 87 or, or above is where we start to talk about problems. And so I'll start to address, it's an easy segue into talking about what are you eating? And people often don't even know. So I'll just have them do some sort of macros tracker. Just, mm-hmm. you know, there's an easy one online called Macros Inc. Uh, there's one called Carbon, whatever works for you. I don't have a, my fitness pal, whatever works for you. Uh, but I want you to know this is just taking an inventory of what you're doing. I also love the continuous glucose oh, monitor. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's amazing the results that you get from continuous glucose monitors. Yep. So 
That's a simple one to check. Um, and then I'm going to look at what is their albumin level. So albumin yes. is a protein in the blood. Yeah. It acts like a boxcar. It carries nutrients around everywhere, jumps, you know, picks it up at one place, dumps it off at the other place. It just acts like a carrier and protects its whatever's in its um, boxcar while it's traveling through the bloodstream. So as we age, as we have less resistance training or as we become more sarcopenic, uh, we we start to notice that that albumin level goes down mm. when you're sick. For example, when you have COVID, we know that the patients who come in the door with an albumin less than 3.5, those yeah. patients are much more likely to have terrible outcomes than the patients who had um, a, a higher than 4.5. So my goal for an albumin is to be greater than 4.5. Yeah, which is here I, 45. We yeah, it's just a. Uh, so I try to track those over yeah. time. I'll say, what was it last year? What is it this year? Or, what are you doing differently this year that makes things better? I try to see most of my patients every three months, mm-hmm. and we'll just see what's happening, what's going on. Are you in the are you progressive or are we headed in the wrong direction? Yeah. What can we adjust that's minor that yep. can help you head in the right direction? Oh. I need a trainer at the gym for my workouts, just like they need a health um, yep. you know, person to guide them what they're doing and to keep them on track. So albumin is probably the second thing. The third thing I look at is an alkaline phosphatase level. Mm-hmm. Alkaline phosphatase is unique in that it can indicate all kinds of things. But it is in the body naturally, it rises in response to inflammation. So it's a, it's an inflammatory marker. It's specifically often related to intestinal inflammation. Uh-huh. And we learned from our naturopathic friends years ago that all disease starts in the gut. Yep. So we need to pay attention to things like that. So if I'm seeing a low albumin, a high alkaline phosphatase, I know this patient is not absorbing nutrients from their diet and that there's probably some intestinal inflammation. So I'm going to start to focus on what's happening with their um, intestines and how do we correct this? So these are just simple, simple tests. Instead of having to order a really expensive, extensive intestinal panel, which would be helpful at some point, I'd rather patients be able to spend their money on the um, treatments rather than the diagnosis if I can. So I'm going to start with that going down the um, inflammatory pathway or the intestinal inflammation pathway. And what can we do to fix this? There's some simple PCR tests that have come out to look at gut microbes. And um, so I'll maybe throw one of those on to let me know if there's anything unusual happening in their intestines. Um, if they have an overgrowth of something that shouldn't be there. And those are also fairly inexpensive and they don't have to go through the extensive um, multiple day testing that's $600 or $800. So that is, those are very simple out, you know, easy right there. I also think that we need to pay attention to things like liver enzymes, the alkaline, I mean the um, AST, ALT, and they give us so much information there too. So, We know that for an AST or ALT greater than 25, we're going to start running into problems with, um, or we're seeing that the patient is having difficulty with either detoxification or again, some sort of intestinal inflammation. So I'm going to, again, look at what's happening in the intestines. I'm going to treat them whatever way that would mean. You know, I'm going to start with diet. Um, Maybe we'll do an elimination. Maybe we'll look at, are there foods that you need to take out? Are there things we need to add in? Do you not have enough? I love to tell people to please do a vegetable with every meal. Yeah. Um, Please start with, or it's ordering the meal. So starting with a protein and then going to whatever your vegetable uh, is and then whatever your carbohydrates are on the end. 
Um, if you're starting with a, with a protein, we're priming the system for handling the blood sugar more efficiently. So even if you do nothing but reorder your food that you eat, um, you know, it's, that's a little bit of a problem if you're eating something like lasagna. But <laughs> but if you're having chicken, broccoli, chicken and, and salad, yeah, 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 eat the potato mm-hmm. last, eat the chicken first, and eat the salad in between, yeah. And people, when they're watching their continuous glucose monitor, will see a difference when they um, make that just that simple change in their diet. So we'll watch to see if that makes a difference. I'll repeat labs six weeks or three months, which tends to be so six weeks is kind of that midway between your three month check ins. So I like to do a three month uh, midway check in and then, and then we repeat. I order a huge panel of labs the first time I see somebody. So there's probably 20, 25 things on my panel when I first look at them, because I want to make sure I have a complete picture. And then we're going to pick and choose as we go things we might need or not need, depending on what their first, their initial panel shows. What about the, um, the, the thyroid's another pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we often will get a TSH. Maybe if we're lucky, we'll get a T4, some even a T3. But there's hardly anybody who does reverse T3, the antibodies, uh, you know, that full panel, the full thyroid panel. And I, I order, I can order it. I can get it for, for my clients. They have to pay it privately. But that would be great if that was sort of standard so that we can make an assessment of what your entire thyroid pathway is doing right. and then where we can intervene. And, you know, are you seeing a hell of a lot of thyroid people, uh, people having issues with thyroid coming through? Absolutely. Absolutely. And remember, I, my patients are self-selecting because if patients are going to primarily use their own insurance, they're going to go to, uh, I'm not sure what the system is in New Zealand, but our patients can either use insurance. I'm a cash only yeah. pay practice. We don't do, deal with yeah. any insurance. All. Um, and so patients, obviously patients who come to see me are a selected group. And, and so I either have the really healthy entrepreneur athlete, or I have the very ill, very um, Ill. Lyme disease, mold, illness, chronic fatigue, that kind of patient. So I have this sort of uh, um, dichotomy. Of it's actually and, similar um, for me. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. got the same sort of and, situation. They're going to self-select. So, so I, I have to remember there's a bias when I see patients, but I would say probably at least 50% of my patients have some sort of thyroid. We have to live, remember, we live in a toxic world. Yeah. And so everything's going to affect the thyroid. Lots of things are, even in the United States, we use a lot of um, bromine related uh, fire retardants in our yeah. clothing, in our furniture. Yeah. And so all of that is going to affect the way, you know, we use fluoride in our toothpaste. Yep. That's all going to affect the way that our bodies are, are able to handle iodine and it's going to substitute for iodine iodine at the same locations. And now your thyroid is unable to do the iodine exchanges that it needs to do to produce the actual thyroid hormones that we need. So, so it's question yes. on that. So, so fluoride does that fluoride actually yeah. will, will, will stop the iodine being taken up. Did I understand that correctly? Uh, yes. So it, it will substitute in the um, thyroid hormones. It'll substitute. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that's, that's great info. Take note of that one, everyone. So this is a um, this is one of the one of the reasons why I ask. You know the the dental concerns about uh, about using um, 
mouthwashes and toothpastes and such that are going to kill off all of the bacteria and the concerns about the nitric oxide, you being able to actually continue to produce nitric oxide. We need good bacteria in our mouths. If we're killing it off with all of the, you know, that's a whole other story for another podcast, but um, uh, that's another reason for us to be cautious about using fluoride. Um, we, we, I don't recommend it for most of my patients. So that's just a, oh, by the way, lots of interesting things. And so giving patients iodine um, is something we can do to help to, you know, if your iodine is greater, you're going to start substituting out your bromine and your, and your um, fluoride for iodine. And so that's a, another way we can help these patients out. Yeah, but you've got to also be careful with iodine, don't you? If you've got Hashimoto's or things and things, you're pushing too hard on that that one pathway because, um, you know, you can do that too. If you've got Hashimoto's and you take iodine, that can actually exacerbate the problem, can't it? Yes, and all of this has to should be done under the supervision of a qualified, um, experienced functional medicine doctor for sure. Yeah. Or there yeah. are some really good, like you, some really great health coaches that know what they're talking about. Yeah, um, we'll, but you should we always do some work re- with doctors. Yeah, we yeah. always work with doctors. You know, you have. You to. should definitely do some research into who you're getting your advice from. And um, my friend Carl Noor, if you know Carl, who does podcasts too. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl um, always says the, um, what does he say? The new um, pressure, the, the, the new, um, what's it called? Um, uh, evolutionary pressure is who you get your information from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to be self-selecting hopefully for stronger, yes, exactly. stronger people and, and evolving into a better, but yeah, there's, there's, there is, you know, some of the stuff that you just said, I know, like if I went to the dental association, you'd be getting pushback. Massive pushback. I had this discussion with a friend the other day. He was um, having his kids use baking soda that, you know, the toothpaste here that's baking soda based. And he went to the, the kids went to the dentist and they, he ripped shreds out of them for not using a fluoride toothpaste, you know. And luckily my, my colleague's pretty onto it and he was just like, yeah, that's fine. Thanks very much. See you later. <laughs> and yeah. went home and, you know, but this is, um, this is uh, this is a confusing part for the the consumer and the person. So, if you come across contra- contradictions like that, go and do your own deep dive into that area if it's important to you, so that you can make a fully informed assessment and to trust yourself to do that. There are ways, you know. Um, I did a course with Dr. Yurth. We did it together. Um, taught a course um, in you know what to fix first and how to. Um, how not to die, it was called, how not to die. <laughs> and, you know, we were looking at how do you do the research and how do you do those things? And that, that's a really, a really good course to do so that you can make good assessment of the material that you're getting in. Um, yes. I think that's important for, for consumers to, to be thinking about. Um, so thyroid, yeah, is, is in, in the thyroid, the hormones, the gut health, these are all intertwined and, 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 and the, and the HPA axis as well in there. Yes. Um, very complex integrated mechanisms that talk to each other and are affected by each other. And, um, so it's a very difficult, you know, thing to be peeling apart you know i i love to do um dutch testing and and look at the complete hormones and check what the methylation is doing and um look at the thyroid candidate to be looking at hrt or not if they're going through menopause etc um and all of these things are very much you know intertwined if you're going to be looking at that i like to look at the thyroid i like to look at the gut health if i can and of course 
as you said, it's it's always um, you know, where do I put the person's resources first? That's always the biggest, the biggest, hardest thing for me. You know, yeah. I've got um, a number of really, really wealthy clients who can just say, give me the whole gambit and I'll get everything tested. And I'm like a kid in a candy store then because I've got all <laughs> the data, right? I can go go to town and get it all and make sense of it all. But when I've only got a piece of that puzzle, that's where you have to be really pretty, you know, clever and intuitive and have experience. And uh, when you don't have that whole sort of picture. And so for me, like doing blood work, I, I think that if, you know, like if we could get it funded every three, every three months for everybody just to get a basic blood test, like the $10, $12, you know, run-of-the-mill blood test for everybody, we would have a much healthier society because we're just going to be preventative. We, we can see things happening, you know, before they actually become a problem and wait until they're actually out of range and then a problem. We can see when they're heading towards the top end of that, you know, blood sugar range, for example. And insulin resistance is a thing that I really look at pretty much with everybody walking through the door. I want to know, you know, how are they? And I look at, you know, um, questionnaires that look at your blood sugar regulation and how are you looking as well as your HbA1c and your, your fasting glucose and your, you know, all of those sorts of things, your insulin levels. And then you can make in a picture of where they are on that spectrum. Because I can tell you, most of us are on that spectrum somewhere of heading towards diabetes. I think if you live long enough, everybody would get it, you know, um, yeah. unless we can be really actively trying to stay metabolically healthy. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, I think, one of the, the at the core of, of so many diseases is metabolic dysregulation and metabolic issues. And if we can start working on that piece of the puzzle, then the diabetes, the Alzheimer's, the cancers, the heart diseases, all the things that branch off that, we'll have a less likelihood of that going down that path, you know? I love the Dutch test. You mentioned it a minute ago because um, it's fairly comprehensive, even though it's not, what I mean is um, I love that they've added at the end, the uh, chimeric quinolytic. Yeah. Yeah. And they've added the oxidized LDL. That just makes it such a complete test. Yeah, the uh, the H, uh, what do you call it? The 80HDG. Yeah. So is that really looking at the the LDL or just oxidative stress in general, that one? Or is it looking at oxidative LDL? The the, Uh, the 80HDG is is specifically looking at DNA damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uh, oxidative LDL is looking at um, oxidative stress. Right. So that's a different marker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, isn't it great that they've added that plus the oh, car, the the cortisol awakening response? I really like to yeah. understand that as well. My God, that's been mm-hmm. difficult to get my head around. <laughs> I've, I've struggled with that one a little bit with the, the cortisol awakening response. But seeing that and seeing a patient's coming through with flat cars or a car that's going you know, down before it goes up at night or, you know, these, some of the crazy cortisol awakening responses I've seen lately. I'm like, wow, okay, no wonder you're having trouble sleeping or whatever. Um, so, so getting that and, and that sort of plays into that whole hormone cyclicity, you know, are you doing the right things at the right time of the day to, to initiate the right sort of responses and getting that cortisol response on point, you know, with that nice diurnal curve, a nice rise in the morning and then down throughout the day and then nice and low at night so that your melatonin can kick in. And I like to work on people's lifestyle habits, you know, like uh, sleep, 
a sleep regime, just like you would with your three-year-old. If you've got a kid, you know that you wouldn't give them a a bunch of ice cream at nine o'clock at night and then make them run around the house until they're all excited and screaming and then try and pop them into bed. It's not going (laughs) to end well, right? (laughs) But we do it all the time. Yeah, We're doing that to ourselves. So I'm very, very strict when I'm at home and not traveling. Um, I've got a very nice strict regime of, you know, my blue light blocking glasses and my chamomile tea and my um, yoga and my calming myself down as best I can. I do work too late. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only thing. And that's hard when you're, when you've got so much work to do that you can't fit it all in in the day. But, um, it's trying to prepare that brain to bring those brain waves down and uh, bring yourself down into that right state to be able to go to sleep. You know, those, those things are absolutely so One of the things that's been really cool for us to do, we just started doing um, we, uh, th- therapeutic stellate infiltrations. Mm, so the, the stellate ganglion, mm, the stellate ganglion is the motherboard for the autonomic nervous system. Oh, and it lives right here, just behind your sternocleidomastoid, right in front of your C6 um, transverse process. And it's easily accessible with a little half-inch needle in most people. Oh. So you can infiltrate that area with a little bit of cheap procaine and give the patient a, uh, they actually should get a horner response where their um, face becomes a little bit heavy, their eye becomes a little small. um, And that means their sympathetic nervous system gets turned down. The parasympathetic gets a chance to take over. Who of us since COVID has given our parasympathetic a chance to take over? Yeah, no, man, (laughs) that's a constant battle of mine, trying to get the parasympathetic up. And so it's been really fun in the last couple, the last year, year and a half that we've been doing this with our patients who have PTSD. And then we've expanded that into patients, not just with PTSD, but who have like, you're talking about HPA axis dysfunction. It's been really, really beneficial and helpful to watch these patients recover because they're getting just a little bit of a break, just a little bit of a break, just a little bit of a break from the, um, uh, the massive sympathetic response that all of us get. So that's been super helpful and um, it can really help with that cortisol awakening response. Wow. A lot of, never heard um, of it. That's brand new to me, that one. So, so, so this of, is something you've um, trained and you have to inject into the neck. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've got to have um, a doctor. Yep. And the, most of the time the pain specialists will do it. Uh huh. And how often do you have to do this, like every night or, or, or? So the research with PTSD is once a week for 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to go to your doctor, have it done at night time or like how does it? Doesn't do matter. It, you know, doesn't matter. Morning. Yep. We the, can do it in the morning. Mm-hmm. The local anesthesia effects last about, and that's where the Horner response comes in, lasts about 20 minutes, something mm-hmm. like that. The um, the parasympathetic dominance can last all day. So it's this amazing calm. People talk about euphoria. They talk about the um, um, increased margin that they're for creativity that they have because their brain is not so busy fighting off. Yeah. 
it's really been an amazing tool. And I have several patients. I have a woman who runs her husband's medical practice uh, who had some uh, terrible pizza, uh, tra- trauma in her childhood. And this has really freed her up to be able to do her job and be the mother and wife that she is also and, uh, and, and is, is doing really amazingly well. So it's been an, an exciting new addition to the, um, to the things that we do here at the office. Wow. That is just, oh, I would, I mean, that's going to be difficult to try to get doctors to be trained in that, I suppose, down here, but that wouldn't that be marvelous? Cause anything that stimulates that parasympathetic is just so, so crucial. I know, I struggle personally with, you know, um, post-traumatic stress and um, I've had eight years of hell basically um, in my life, you know, losing babies and my dad and my mum going through, yeah, just like, you know, the shit that happens to us um, yeah. and COVID, of course, and all of the drama of that, that, that brought. Um, and so the, to, to shut your brain up is the hardest thing and to calm down and not be like, where, where is the next lion coming at me from? Yeah. You know, so that would just, that would be amazing. And, and, and without taking SSRIs and things, I just not going to entertain those, those ideas because I know the downsides of, of, you know, all of that. I've been there, done that actually. Um, that's, that's, that's not the answer, but that sounds really, really exciting. Oh, you've sent me down a new path to, to investigate. Yes. That yeah. sounds really, really exciting because in, in anything, um, one of the other things I do in the evening, well, I'm lucky enough to have one, a hyperbaric chamber, right? Because um, I've got a clinic with a hyperbaric chamber is I try to do that in the evening if I get a chance, even if it's just a half an hour, because that turns on my parasympathetic nervous system without fail. I sort of get up out of there and I'm like, oh, <laughs> nice and relaxed. I could go off to bed. Um, and that's, you know, these little things, you know, sauna can do that as well, hot baths, things that can just really help that parasympathetic state. Uh, breath work, of course. Um, cold therapy, another one of my favorite things to do. There's a lot of devices out there right now that are really helpful for it. I really like the brain tap. I like the Apollo Neuro. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Yeah, really- yep. Yeah, I've heard about it. I haven't had it. Oh, Resimax. I'm interviewing the the the, the inventor of a, of a thing called Resimax, which I'm testing out with mum. Check that one out. Um, Sharik Peck, um, interviewing him next week. Um, and this is uh, 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 certain vibrations. It's a, it's, a, it's a machine that vibrates at certain frequencies. And I'll probably butcher this, sorry, Sharik. <laughs> um, uh, but it has certain algorithms that it plays through. And it can turn on the parasympathetic response. It can really get rid of migraine headaches. Um, I'm using it for mum to stimulate that right side of the, uh, the body that's um, had stroke damage and the connection isn't there. So before I get it to stand up, I will rub this, this, um, vibrating thing <laughs> that, that this, this, um, Resimax, uh, device. And that sort of just wakes up that side of the body so that she is, when she goes to stand, she's not, because if she's been sitting for more than half an hour, that, that connection from the brain to the body shuts down. Like for us, we've still got it, but she sort of shuts off. And so her first steps are very stuck, like, like literally like stuck in the mud. And mm. if I do that first and wake that leg up with this, it sort of activates here and we've only been using it for a couple of weeks, but um, it's very, very interesting, but you can also use it. They've used it for, um, you can put it here and it really stimulate that parasympathetic by putting it under here somewhere. And then you can do it here 
and headaches and um you know across the top of the head different different areas that you can use it for different things so check that one out Resimax. and have you ever used um did you ever use stem cells in her uh stem cell injections or anything no um, I'm using stem regen from Christian Drapo, mm-hmm. which I'm, uh, had her on for the past month or so. Um, and I'm doing a sort of a loading dose of those. Uh, and, and because it's very hard for us to get stem cell stuff down mm-hmm. here. There's, there's hardly anybody that's doing it. And if they're doing it, they're doing it, um, with your own stem cells and, and so on. And when you're 81, probably not, you know, going to really benefit much. Um, so yeah. So just the stem cell, stem regen, which I'm a big fan of. Um, that, yeah. that research by Christian is pretty pretty compelling, I think. So we're giving that a go, and I'm using it as you know, well. It's, it's interesting. Um, the There are a couple of companies, um, American Cell Technologies, I think, and again, I don't know what your access to it is, to it is there, but that will have the provider take a um, – uh, adipose tissue specimen, like a mm-hmm. liposuction. Yep. And uh, I think they call it lipo harvesting. Yep. And then they will expand those cell colonies and cryofreeze them for you. So she could get three or four or four treatments in a year mm-hmm. that would potentially be beneficial. You know, I don't know all the details of how you would access it from where you are, yeah. yeah. But it may be something Probably. to think about because um, there's companies all over that will do that. If you could just find someone who will do the uh, the fat harvesting, yeah. the company will take it and um, and they proliferate it. They make it. They they, mm-hmm. they, they grow it and then put yep. it back in. Yeah, yep. and um, I think there is yeah uh, there is one up north that might might do that. Um, I'll, I'll have a look into it. I just thought with with eighty one year old stem cells might not get much of a you know, and you're you're putting back into the body, you know, like damaged senescent stem cells because there's that argument too. Um, so the the yeah. you know a lot of the protocols include doing some sort of pre treatment with yep. um, MAH ozone, you know, ozone therapy mm-hmm. um, with senolytics, yep, uh, rapamycin, fisetin, yeah, yeah. Cort- on those, yep, um, FOXO four, something like that ahead mm-hmm. of time, mm-hmm. and then uh, pre treating with ozone therapy, and then doing. Um, uh, stem cell harvesting. So you've gotten rid of a lot of the senescent cells. Gotcha. And then you're giving them, you know, for her because of Purified. her history of cancer, I don't know what their restrictions would be, whether they would allow her to do it. Yeah. Um, that those are all, you know, you'd have yeah. to ask the company. They have different recommendations, but those are options. Those are all options. Yeah. And, and you know, using your own stem cells, they're, they're way better than using somebody else's stem cells just because yeah. they, your body knows what to do with them. Yeah, yeah, they're endogenous to you. And just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that's what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmity.com. 
and this is uh, you know the easy the easy way and with was with you know like stem cell mobilizers like what Christian's got in his stem regen and he's spent I don't know 25 years or something studying what what plants around the world or what compounds around the world help the body mobilize stem cells so um and and he's done all the you know a lot of clinical trials with these to show that the the stem cell production out of the the bone marrow is increased and of course when stem cells are higher in the body then you're going to get repair processes happening much mm-hmm. better and that's one of the reasons why we don't repair well as we get older because we've lost so much of our stem cells running around in the blood they're not being so these these plant molecules um things like afa from klamath lake like that blue green algae and aloe macroplata and um fucus something or other ish um is that the it, it dissolves the solvent that holds the adhesive i should say it dissolves so the adhesive molecules that are holding the stem cells in the bone marrow and actually gets rid of those and so they can be released and then if you combine that with hyperbaric, that actually proliferates the stem cells and just sort of crowds them out of the bone marrow. So you've got a sort of a double whammy going on, you know. Um, so that's the easy access for people who don't have access to stem cell treatments. I mean, I think it's right. worth, worth, worth trying. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we're experimenting with that at the moment. But all of these things are just so exciting, like getting more stem cells in your body and doing, you know, and then back to the peptides because we didn't really finish the peptide <laughs> conversation. Um, the, the peptides are so, there's just so many. I mean, there's 7,000 odd peptides. Um, and then you've got the bioregulators and the peptides, right? And um, what's your take on bioregulators and Dr. Kavinson or Professor Kavinson's work uh, for 40 odd years, you know, who started off with the KGB producing stuff for their military. But anytime I hear military are using something, I always double down on my research on that area because I know that the military, whether it was in Russia or it's the American military or whatever, if like with ketones, you know, like when they're studying something, they usually got a big budget and they've usually got not the amount of restrictions that we have in the normal society. So they are usually at the cutting edge of things. So I'm always sort of doubling down if the military is doing something. Um, but bioregulators are, uh, yeah, have, have, Professor Kavinson is probably the, the 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 major player in the space, and now it's becoming more available. And the cool thing with the bioregulators is, is a lot of them are oral or sprays, mm. which makes it more accessible for more people. So, but I'm not a hundred percent on them yet. You know, like I'm because most of the works come out of Dr. Kavinson's lab. You know, there's not a what's your take. I think you're right on. What's exciting is, um, are, are you involved with um, Dr. Lawrence, Bill Lawrence's American study? I've, I, I know about Dr. Lawrence. I'm hoping to get him on the show, but I think that might be a, a stretch. I will we'll hope <laughs> because that would be great. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more. He's a good fella. He's right here in Atlanta. Oh, uh, well, put in a good a word friend. for me, would you? Oh, <laughs> you know, I'd love to get him on the show. Yeah, so he's doing, he's repeating the work of Kavinson here in the United States. Um, most of the most, I think the most interesting research that Kavinson has is on the um, thymus gland and the pineal gland yeah. peptides. Epitalin, and yeah. giving those to patients for three years and then following the patient for, for multiple years after that. Mm. So the 
uh, what they found, the, the Russian study found, is that significantly lower numbers of patients were ill and had or had died who had taken the peptide bioregulars for three years. So Bill Lawrence is the um, American version who is uh, trying to replicate the work of Dr. Cavinson uh, under his uh, tutelage. And he is or in conjunction with Dr. Cavinson and is trying to make that happen. So he's in the middle of that. Uh, I happen to be one of his um, clients. Oh, wow. And so my telomere length went really um, low, uh, went really low compared to where I was last year, just being on peptide bioregulators in the middle of a particularly stressful time, it, my telomere length went down, but because of, um, having had COVID twice, my, um, uh, my age, my chronological age actually got a little bit worse. So this is really curious to, to see what's going to, so we've made some adjustments to see if we can get rid of spike protein. We've added some bioregulators that are specifically related to that one called Nemorex. Nemorex. That is a spray mm-hmm. um, that has some interesting research, uh, limited, but interesting research on, uh, I like the word compelling that you used on <laughs> helping to remove spike protein. Um, wow. So that we're hoping to do for me. I did not ever get a vaccine, but I did have COVID twice. So same, yeah. I didn't um, get vaccine. I got COVID once, and um, I'm seeing a lot of people with long COVID and um, vaccine damage as well, unfortunately. And in, and sometimes it's a bit of a double whammy um, when yeah. you've had both. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you actually saw yourself go backwards in the first part of the study because of the stress that you were under in this COVID and, and so on and so forth. And now you're halfway through this, that, that three-year cycle or whereabouts are you at the moment? You're so lucky yes. to be in that. So oh, I, man. <laughs> I, did my second, uh, I did my second test in January, so I'll have another one next January. We'll see where yep. things are. Wow. And it's just a three-year study, and then he's going to follow me for the next 15 years, wow. and uh, we'll see what happens you know, the, the Russian study, they just called people up 15 years later and said, is, is he or she still alive? And yeah, significantly higher numbers of the treated patients were still alive. And then he treated a lot in that second time too, didn't he? Like people that were now in their 70s and so on, didn't they They continue with the peptides at that point? No, just they didn't. Just the one, years. three years. Wow. But was it injection or I think it was injection, wasn't it, rather than the oral and uh, sprays? That they used in the original cohort. The gas, the Gazprom study was done with orals, oh. um, and that's the huge thirteen thousand people yeah. in the in Siberia that work for the gas company. Wow, and that was you know in the very stressful living conditions, I should imagine, and back then in yeah. Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have yes. been the easiest uh, places to live, I shouldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those people, had, you know, they died less, they they lived better, they were healthier, and that was just having these bioregulated peptides for three years. And so that's interesting that Dr. Bill Lawrence is in the middle of that, and, I'm, you know, that, that's going to be really exciting. And I think, meanwhile, you know, if you've got the money and the resources and you want to try that, they're, they're, they're very good safety profile, you yes. know. So, yeah. What's also interesting is I would consider SS31 and GHKCU. I would mm-hmm. consider both of those peptide bioregulators because yeah. they are four or less amino acids. Yeah. And so we know that they have significant effect. You know, GHKCU affects 
800 something genes mm. up and down regulates a bazillion genes. So we know that we're getting a more youthful expression of your DNA if you're taking GHKCU on a periodic basis. And I think the recommendation is, you know, once a quarter to do a round of GHKCU. Uh, same idea with the, with epitalon to do a, once a quarter to do a round of, of epitalon. And then, um, then the other uh, peptide bioregulator that I think is um, interesting and so effectual is SS31. Uh-huh. This is one of our mitochondrial peptides. Yep. Uh, I think it is, um, it's had amazing results with my patients who can afford it. Yep. Uh, it's hard to find. If you can find it, it's expensive, but I think it is one of the most impactful peptides that we have available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a patient who has uh, pulmonary fibrosis that's mm. related to having had COVID twice. Wow. And she came to us on oxygen. We, of course, we did a lot of things. We did ozone therapy. We did, um, uh, I, we did uh, not, not inhaled. We did oral. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. IV, major IV. hemolytic. Yep. And then we did, um, we did, uh, regular peptides like thymus and beta. We also did, um, uh, but we did SS31 and her energy came back. She was off of oxygen. She was walking. Wow. Um, we, so she's four or five miles a day. She's, she was doing really, Amazing. really Amazing. Well. And that's for yeah. something that you can't really fix apparently. You right. Know? So yes. that's 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 amazing. And would BPC one five seven be in the mix there as well, or for things like that? Yes. And so you, is, is BPC a, a, not also a bioregulator? Because it's also it's not because fifteen amino. So the official oh, definition of bioregulators okay. is it's two four, to four or less. Yeah, mm-hmm. two to four. Yeah. Okay. I thought BPC was for some reason, uh, as in a smaller number of peptides than that. But is it so? It's what thirteen or fourteen. It's 15. String, 15, 15 string of peptides. But you can take it orally. That's uh, that's what threw me off was that the BPC-157, you can take oral and it does yes. have an effect. Um, You're right. So how does that happen when it's such a big, well, big-ish peptide? How is it able to tolerate the stomach? Mm. It's because of the sequence of amino acids itself that are resistant to the acid environment. It's right. naturally made in the stomach. So yeah, yeah, or true. The, true. The longer peptide, you know, yep. 157 is the, uh, is the fragment of the original. And so the, um, the one that's made naturally in the stomach is a longer version of that, but it's, it is resistant to the acidic environment of the stomach because of its amino acid sequence and its confirmation. Right. No, that, that, yeah, cause I've used both the oral and, uh, and the uh, injectables, and um, uh, yeah, we, we we had a situation with a gastrointestinal bleed, and so the oral was important, and I put KPV in the mix as well um, mm-hmm. under Doctor Betsy's guidance. Um, and I also like treating both sides. So if they have an intestinal problem, yeah, I like giving it systemic and oral, yeah, because then you're sense. treating from both directions. Yeah, and I think when you give it systemically, it could end up in the cartilage or the joint or somewhere else and not, you know, preferably in that case I needed it for the gut healing and the gut lining. Um, so that's why we put it in orally as well as as, as an injectable as well. Um, and just just going on to some of the other, your favourite peptides or bioregulators, from the thymus perspective, um, yeah, the sorry, the thyroid perspective, um, what's your 
taken the bioregulators there, like thyreogen, I think it's called, and um, yeah, the, the bioregulators in the thyroid space. I'm always going to say the first things we should do is is treat with the um, with the pineal gland peptide and the um, thymus gland peptide. So always, 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 we should be treating with those two. And then everything else we do uh, for for patients with any of the bioregulators should be added to that regimen. Um, uh, and so, so a pitalon, so, uh, is that, it would be a pitalon and thyreogen first. Yes. And then yes, or whatever, or, and then mm-hmm. mm, the blood vessel regulators like Ventfort and. I'm such a fan of Cardillacs because mm-hmm. everything is made of everything: heart, lungs, kidney, liver. All of it needs a an extracellular matrix, and so I I'm always going to throw that one on. I'm always going to throw on the Vesagen uh, to try to get their, uh, blood vessels. So we've, so I'm getting, those are my kind of number one, two, three, four for everyone. And then I'll throw the extra ones on. So if she was on tax arrest oral, the patient I just mentioned with the pulmonary fibrosis, she was on tax arrest. How much does the tax arrest affect her versus everything else? Because I didn't, I mean, we gave her everything. So I yeah. have no idea which was yeah. the contributing, the most contributing uh, factor. She ended up having, I want to say she ended up having um, almost a Herxheimer-like reaction to yep. the thymus and alpha. So we started going down a path of looking at uh, whether she had a mold exposure or something else in her home that may have made her predisposed to the problem to begin with. Um, I had a question for you. Did you ever use in your mom dihexa or um, cerebrolysin? So, yes, cerebrolysin. Um, but I could only get the one mil little vials out of Austria. So I couldn't get the, what we really needed was the, you know, infusions of the stuff um, and really high dosages. So uh, I think, well, once again, I, I was throwing a shitload at her <laughs> at the time when I was doing the cerebrolysin, and I've done two rounds of cerebrolysin, um, and I, I think it, I definitely think it helped. Um I was like, when when she got cancer, I was like, oh, do we put cerebrolysin in? Is that safe when she's got an active brain cancer, you know, like in the brain? Um, and, you know, I, I conferred with Dr. Youth on that and we did. We put cerebrolysin back in the mix, but I haven't tried dihexa yet. And I've been looking at, have you seen, was it Jordan Harding, I think is his name? The researcher uh, who who studied the Parkinson's rats. Um, have you seen that video? There's a video. He's a, he's he's talking about the dihexa. He's given one rat Parkinson's. However, they give rats Parkinson's. I don't know, but they do. And then one without Parkinson's, and then one with Parkinson's treated with dihexa. And they're hanging on a on a um, pull up bar. These rats, so he, he sticks them on a bar and they're holding it. Now, the Parkinson's rat falls off very, very quickly, obviously, because it's got Parkinson's. The normal rat falls off about 10, 12 seconds later. The, the rat with Parkinson's treated with dihexa hangs around there for a good, you know, like good minute or something, like three times as long as the wow. healthy rat, you know, don't quote me exactly, but it, it was like a lot longer. So, um, and when I was talking to Ryan Smith last week on dihexa, because I was like, I wrote to Betsy and said, "Dihexa? Should we do dihexa?" <laughs> and she's like, "We should do. We should doing it all." Um, she said, uh, or Ryan said that there is like something like ten thousand times the amount of BDNF produced when you have dihexa. And I'm like, "What?" 
Like yes. Betty and F is the gold that we're trying to get a little bit of when we have saunas or we're, we're hoping we get a bit when we do hyperbaric, but really 10,000 times the amount, isn't that, is that safe? <laughs> um, and that, that, that to me, like sounds very, so I haven't yet put dihexa in the mix. Um, I need to have another appointment with Betsy and just see whether that's, that's an option. Um, and what, what's, your, what's your experience? Here's what I would say about dehexa. Um, I have patients with NS who've had great results. Mm -hmm. I have a patient who has um, vascular dementia who's had great results. Mm. We've really kept her very, very, very stable with her um, symptoms. It's been amazing to watch. So we were able to reverse her initial um, decline, and then she's stayed at that same level since we reversed her initial decline. Um, And so we cycle her on and off. And one of the things I always encourage these patients to do is to find something they love doing that they want to learn. So my perfect example is salsa dancing <laughs> because it uses, it uses the upper part of your body yeah. differently than the lower part. It uses left and right. It requires you to remember steps. Wow. So there's a learning process that goes on. I think powerlifting is a very similar you know, if you were going to do weight training or something. So in anything that you're willing to learn that requires you to um, hold on to information, but I don't want you to start dihexa until you start doing something that challenges oh. your brain to do that neuroplasticity. So whatever that is, I have a patient who picked up learning guitar and um, he was able to memorize the whole songs and things where he wasn't able to before remember, you know, two or three. So it's, um, I think there's been some really dramatic changes. It works. One of the ways that it works is by decreasing the inflammatory response on the brain because it is angiotensin four agonist. Um, the angiotensin two receptor is this inflammatory, uh, producing receptor. And if we can get that turned down in the heart, in the liver, in the brain, we know that we can, we can, um, increase the anti-inflammatory response of the immune system, the microglia in the brain. So they go from that penny, penny, oh my gosh, this guy is falling to the janitor, put things away, take the trash out. Um, and, and we can get a good response uh, in that direction from, so it's not just the fact from dihexa, it's not just the fact that dihexa increases BDNF, although that's a wonderful effect that it has. It is, it's anti-inflammatory and, um, changing the phenotype of the immune system in the brain, uh, helping the, um, oligodendrocytes begin to lay down myelin again in patients with MS. So it's very exciting to see what it can do and what it should be able to do. Again, most of the research is in animals. So when I have these conversations with patients, I go, I don't have any human studies to tell you what it's going to do. I can't, I can't make any promises. Um, but this is what it's done in animals. There is nothing out there for you. So yeah. I think it's worth a try. I mean, yeah. you tell me that you think it's worth a try, but I think it's worth a try. Yeah. And this is the thing when you're, when you're, when you're up against it and it's your last, you know, things like, yeah, these is, this is when you should be able to, to initiate these sorts of things. Um, and, and then there's C-Lank and C-Max. Have you had any experience with those two? Yes. So probably the most benefit I see for those is in, uh, patients who have either a history of addiction 
or who have the, the fairly high uh, HPA axis drive, yep. that we can get that turned down. There's a lot of GABA that's produced there. I think the other place where this would be really beneficial is in our ALS patients mm-hmm. who have um, that glutamate, that high glutamate around the um, synapse that's causing a lot of inflammation. I think we get some benefit in those patients too. Wow. Um, from using um, C-Max and C-Link. And uh, I think, especially if we can get use these things to help get patients off of their um, benzodiazepines, et cetera, that's where I think they also can come in to be really helpful. Isn't it amazing that we've got so many of these exciting new things for things that are really like traditionally got you you're on a path to destruction and doom you know like multiple sclerosis and ALS I've worked with an ALS patient and um or client and uh you know you, you're given there's nothing there's nothing you know there's some yeah. drugs that they can do to maybe help with a little bit of this or a little bit of that but actually there's a lot more out there and you know um getting them access to the right information was really really key for for them um uh, and in the I didn't even put any of the peptides in because, well, I can't. Um, but just having that information, I'm going to pass that on because they may be able to now go over to America and maybe find you <laughs> or Petsy or someone that may be able to help. Yeah, um, because I think uh, they, these when people like that are just got no other options and they're facing a really horrible decline, why not try, you know, dihexa, C-Lax, C-Max, Cerebralis, yeah. and a combination of those sorts of things to try to rehabilitate the brain and get them back. Um, uh, I, I know I, I certainly would. If someone has um, ALS, I am highly, highly going to recommend them see a, a dear friend of mine named Amy Jaramillo. She's in Miami. Mm-hmm. She has the largest non-university-based ALS clinic in the world. Oh, I think I've heard of her. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. Yes. And she has five reversals of ALS. Yes, yes I Two have. of which yep. have been um, recognized by Duke University. Three are awaiting recognition by Duke University. Yep. So these are genuine reversals of ALS under her care. So, uh, you know, ALS and- is an incurable disease, but... Richard Bedlack is another one to put on your radar there, Dr. Richard mm-hmm. Bedlack. He's um, also studied the people who didn't decline and what, what did they to. do? Yeah, he's, he's studied for years. Um, and one of the things that he put in was uh, theracumin. And there was a whole list, like I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was like a whole list of things that all of these people had done. And he's studying that. So, yeah, Dr. Richard Bedlack was his name. Another very, very interesting out of the box thinker um, that I came yeah. across when I was researching for those uh, for that client. Um, so yeah, there's lots of things out there that are just cutting edge, and it's coming all the time. And you know, even when you study for a couple of hours a day, you're still not going to keep up with it all. Hey, eh? <laughs> it's just not enough hours in a day. I sometimes get you know like, God, I wish I just could do more, be more. Be, be brainier so I can remember it all. You know, that would be just great. Um, use some dihexa. Got, use some dihexa and maybe I'll become like the limitless guy in that movie, was it? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Look, hey, um, I, I want to be a little bit respectful of your time, Dr. Suzanne. Thank it's you. been absolutely fantastic to have you. Is Is there anything that we didn't cover that is really like your hot topic you want to talk about? Um, anything that you've, uh, we've, we've touched on some pretty exciting things, but anything that you wanted to add? 
Hmm. Uh, I think that we've covered most things. I, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about the growth hormone secretagogues. I think, you know, most peptide doctors are familiar with using those. Uh, the, the FDA approved one is tessamorelin. I think it yeah. works amazing. I love tessamorelin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to cycle that on and off with other things. I think that is foundational for any program that I'm going to start for. I'm not going to say all patients because the, everyone's different, but it, it really is foundational for most of my patients is, is being on some sort of growth, growth hormone secretagogue. Even your mom with, um, active cancer, we think that probably ipamorelin is a safe one to use. That's the, one that, that's the one that Betsy's put her on, ipamorelin. Yeah. 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 So yeah. we haven't gone with the other ones, but that one is the one that we've chosen. Yeah. Well, she's chosen. Again, there's so, no yeah. research behind that. There's no, you know, I don't have a human study that shows it's safe to use in active cancer, but because of the way it works, because of its because of its um, ability to help cells get out of that glycolysis, that Warburg effect, we think that's why it'll be beneficial mm-hmm. in helping patients to, and, and so uh, uh, that's a complicated another story for another day, but don't forget that's sort of baseline level of foundational for most most programs that we'll do. Yeah, and and yeah, uh, uh, and, and getting yourself more metabolically flexible is really good in, the, in every which way. Um, and uh, what was uh, I did want to touch just briefly on hormone replacement therapy, like ladies going through menopause or men going through andropause, if you want to call it that. Um, are you a fan of people finding out and under the care of a, someone who's qualified doing Dutch testing and all of that sort of stuff? Um, what are the benefits you see of hormone replacement? Because we're still fighting against the Women's Health Initiative over here. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are here in the US too. And I still have patients who come in and say, you know, my best friend is afraid of using hormones because of the risk of breast cancer. And it doesn't matter what I, you know, profit in her own home is is without honor. So (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I keep saying. (laughs) I like that saying. That's really good. But I love, uh, I think that there's so much evidence of benefit. You know, the two big studies that just came out with subcutaneous testosterone um, in prevention of breast cancer. I think those are really uh, powerful studies that d- were done by uh, Dr. Glazer and Dr. Um, Donovitz about um, using subcutaneous testosterone. I'm a huge fan. That's my favorite route of administration is subcutaneous testosterone. Um, I uh, use a fairly low dose of subcutaneous testosterone relative to those studies, but I think it's pretty interesting. Actually, mine is more in correlation with Dr. Glazer's dosing. Um, but it's yourself, it, the, or you're, you're just in general now. Yeah. For yourself. Both. Yeah. Not while I'm competing, but what, when I'm off season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm taking, I, I can only get access to testosterone cream. Um, mm. so I take it that route. I don't know if it's as effective as the subcutaneous probably would be, but that's what I've got access to. Um, and you know, cause I want to maintain my muscle mass and I tend to, you know, be catabolic because of the stress level that I run under and the stress and the amount of things that I do and the training that I put myself through. So, um, you know, I want to maintain a little bit of muscle or a lot of muscle actually. Um, and so testosterone's in the mix and then, you know, DHEA as well. Um, do you put DHEA in the mix in your, your regime? Yes. In fact, the testosterone we use has a, a DHEA, the injectable oh. has DHEA in it. In mm-hmm. it. Okay. And because if you, you know, like if you're someone like me with, with hormone, um, sort of hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal 
gland dysfunction um, and you're flatlining on your your cortisol awakening response. Um, DHEA, you know, like that's going to go along for the ride, isn't it? When you when your cortisol's in the in the. So you in the just gutter? have to be careful because if your cortisol is already in the tank, my experience has been if I put DHEA on board in someone who already has a low cortisol, I'm, I might make their cortisol worse. Ah. Whereas if their cortisol is high. I'm probably going to make it better by adding DHEA. So that's just sort of my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if I see that their DHEA is low, but their cortisol is high, I'm going to replace DHEA. If I right. see that their DHEA is low, but their cortisol is low, I'm going to address what do we need to do? How do we get your cortisol up so that then we can add the DHEA in? Um, it's... Obviously, they're deficient, but I think there's a sometimes the body is wise and is doing things on purpose. So what is what's happening with their teeth? What's happening with their sinuses? What's happening with their intestines that may be causing it's not always just an emotional stressor. I don't mean just, but it's not always an emotional or environmental stressor. It may be an internal stressor there. We, you know, we forget about things like root canals that are problematic in so many people. I can't tell Mm. you how many patients I've said, will you just go see your dentist and ask them to do a CT scan instead of an x-ray? And lo and behold, they have an abscess in their tooth that they didn't really feel. Maybe they had a little bit of sensitivity, but nothing's crazy. And um, their x-rays were normal, Mm. but they were systemically unwell. Shit, I've got quite a few root canals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can actually treat that with injectable procaine and ozone if you if you want to do that. That's a simple way to do it. I don't know if you have a doctor who would do that for you. If you know a holistic dentist, they might be able to do that for you. Good luck trying to find that. Be probably, but I will have a look. Yeah, because I probably do need to. I've done extensive work, dental work, because of the ultra marathons for decades. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember coming back from the Himalayas. Uh, I did a, a really, you know, two hundred and twenty-two k race in the extreme altitude, and three feet, three teeth fell out in a week. Uh, and wow. um, yeah, so pretty, <laughs> pretty horrendous state. And you know, they look great now. I've had a lot of work on them, but I do wonder sometimes about the root canals. Yeah, what's going on there? And you, you don't know. Right. If you don't have access to something like a CT scan. Mm. Yeah. And Mm. most dentists have plain x-ray. So you're not going to have, you're not going to get what you need from just a plain film. Um, Mm. It sometimes will show up, but not always. Ah, Very interesting. Well, we've covered a lot. I think we've really (laughs) gone around the block a couple of times. I'd love to have you back on. Um, I'd love to stay in contact and where can people find out, um, you know, reach out to you, talk to you or your team. Are you on any socials? I don't imagine you have time for social media, but I'm on Instagram. So you can look for me on Instagram. It's at Dr. S Turner, D R S -S Turner. Yep. Yep. And And then, um, on, uh, uh, Facebook, but I don't do too much of my Facebook, um, I have a book coming out in October called Counterclockwise. Oh, so that's exciting! Um, we're uh, we do reach a- out before the book comes, and um, you know we'll get you back on to talk about that. Good. I'm excited. It's it's really fun. It's it's sort of setting down a cairn, saying this is a fun thing that I've done, and so I'm excited about that book. And wow, and where do you have time to do all of that? I have right? no idea. <laughs> Overachiever much. 
<laughs> Absolutely amazing. Okay, so and your main practice, Vines Medical, is that right? Vine Medical, yep, Vine is in Green Vine. Yep. And uh, we are vinemedical.com. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, vinemedical.com. We'll have all the links there and uh, we'll wait with uh, beta breath for that book to come out. That will be definitely on my bedside table <laughs> when it does. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you, Dr. Suzanne. Thank you. So nice to meet you. Really a pleasure.